Welcome to Quest, where we believe a great faith, great church experience, and great life is grounded in authentic relationship with God and living life with friends. Join us today in changing our world one friendship at a time. If you would like more information about connecting at Quest, stay tuned after the message. This morning, I want to take a moment in in midst of all the stuff that's going on. I want to start this way, a little bit different than we do. I want to start with just a little bit of calm. You guys have probably had a little bit of a, a crazy week. I know that in my household, it's been a little bit, you know, just everything is chaotic right now. And so let's just take a moment and close your eyes, take a deep breath. Um, breathe in God. Here's a truth that I want you to be thinking of as, as we start this morning, that, that God is on the throne of our lives and he brings us mercy and peace. He brings us comfort. I was thinking about uh, Jesus and the disciples as Jesus is walking on the water while the disciples are in the boat. And there's a stormy sea out there and, and um, Jesus is walking right beside how he calmed the sea, how he can do that in our lives. Wherever there's chaos, he brings order, he brings peace, he brings wholeness and shalom. And then he calls us to step out of the boat and to walk on that water by his power. So let's let our day start this way. You are on the throne, God, of our lives. Amen. All right, so today we're going to be talking a little bit about Paul's ministry, his early ministry to the church. We're going to be in Acts chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to, to open up there to, to Acts chapter 14 and, um, and, and follow along with me. We're, we're going to, I'm going to summarize some of this stuff and, and read it. But I do want to say um, there is, there's something that, that uh, I, I need to, to talk about in terms of uh, some folks who've really helped me along the way. I've been reading um, some some books from Mark Sayers. Uh, he, he's written two books. One is um, called The uh, Disappearing Church, and the other is The Reappearing Church. And and uh, he's talking about our culture right now as and, and the things that we're going through as a community of believers. Now, some people are falling away from the church, and and uh, he's, he's talking about the reality that we live in this post-Christian world, which if you're familiar, with that, that terminology, essentially what's happening for us right now is um, secularism is more of the leading uh, philosophy for people, and, uh, and which essentially means that we're living in a kingdom without a king. We want all of the good stuff from the kingdom of God, but we don't want God on the throne of our lives. And, and Mark Sayers, he says this, he says, and Gnosticism, by the way, is another way that we can talk about secularism. He says that Gnosticism is an attempt to retain the fruits of Christianity and the solace of faith while maximizing the individual's authority. It's the post-Christian impulse par excellence. And, and um, I, I, I want to give Mark Sayers credit because a lot of what he's been talking about through this book um, has been influencing me as I've been writing the message. And I'm, I, I, it's just really important. And, and I want to say this too as we, as we begin. So in Paul's world, as he's ministering to uh, the people around him, they have no framework at all for Jesus Christ. Of course, Jesus lived and many Jews knew Jesus and they followed his teaching. But as Paul was traveling around, their, their framework was pre-Christian. This is the good news. The gospel of Jesus Christ was brand new to these people. And, and when 
Paul went and taught about it, when Peter went out and taught about it, Barnabas and Timothy and all the others who were starting the church, it was brand new. It was intriguing. And it was, it's interesting as we read the book of Acts, the story of the church, what we see is the Holy Spirit moving in these quick and, and, and just swift ways and, and communities being changed and people coming to faith in Jesus for the first time. And it's fascinating. And honestly, I look around at our world and I think, man, I wish, I wish that it could be like that today. And, and the reality is we don't live in that world. We live in a very different world. And um, however, there are some similarities for us as, as we think about what it was like for a pre-Christian world and preaching the gospel there and what it's now like for a post-Christian world and, and us, our responsibility is preaching the gospel too. There are some similarities to, to draw from. And so let's talk a little bit about this passage starting in Acts chapter 14. And I'm going to summarize just a little bit about what's happening to Paul and Barnabas as they're sharing the gospel early on in their ministry. So they're in this town that has a Jewish presence. Often, if, if they were in a town that where a synagogue existed, they would start in the synagogue and they would start to preach the good news of Jesus. They would meet those folks there, build those relationships. And, and as they're doing it, many folks were coming to faith. Jews and Gentiles alike were coming to faith in Jesus. And, um, and then what ultimately resulted in this moment was there was some division that started to arise among the Jews. And they, they began to stir up controversy about Paul and Barnabas. And and uh, Paul, in this moment, he chooses to stay. So controversy arises. Uh, a lot of times we want to run from that. We want to hide from it. We want to avoid it. Paul says, no, uh, it's important for us to stay. So he and Barnabas stay there. They continue to preach the good news because he understands that the folks who are new believers need a deep rooting and foundation of the truth of who Jesus was, what he did in this life, his death, and ultimately his resurrection. And and so he stood there and continued to teach and um, and he, he was helping these new believers as they were um, preparing for the opposition that they were certain to face. Then word comes that uh, those folks who were stirring up controversy wanted to um, stone Paul and Barnabas. They wanted to hurt them. And so Paul... You know, being a very wise man said, it is time for us to go. So they left, they hightailed it out of there, and uh, they moved to a town called Lystra. Now this is, um, just to give you some frame of reference where they are in the global, um, they're, they're in, a, in a place called Galatia. I'm sure you've read the letter that, that um, Paul wrote to the Galatians. This is the same area, it's modern day Turkey. Uh, so they, they go out and they continue to preach the gospel of Jesus. Uh, there in Lystra, they find a man who is crippled. And Paul uh, heals this man as he sees this man have has faith in what, what Jesus can do. He heals him. And, and then um, the folks who were all uh, around him started to do this thing. And I, I want to um, uh, refer directly to the scripture here so that you can see the evidence of the pre-Christian influence that Paul was uh, leading in. Um, so Paul and Barnabas, they heal this man. And those who were watching, they say this. Acts chapter 14, verse 11 and following. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. So they, they're looking at Paul and Barnabas and they think that they're gods, they're deities, right? And, and Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul, they called him Hermes because he was the chief speaker. So they're, they're saying, that's Zeus, that's Hermes. And then the, um, 
The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside of the city, he brought bulls and reese to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. So they see Paul, they see Barnabas, let's offer sacrifices to these guys. They must be gods. But then, as the story continues, Paul and Barnabas, they stop that nonsense. They're like, that's not what's going on. It's, I'm not uh, Hermes, this isn't Zeus. We are here from God. The, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're preaching uh, the news of Jesus. And it's interesting um, when, we, when we look at Paul. And this, he has this understanding um, that uh, here in this moment, these people have no framework for God at all. You know, they're, they're primarily a polytheistic culture. And, and what, what Paul is presenting is, is completely brand new. And so he talks about God, uh, and he starts with God at the very beginning. He says God is the creation, or the creator of all of creation at the very beginning. He explains who, who God is. And, and Paul just had this acute understanding of his audience. And he, he chooses to share the message of God in a specifically relevant way um, to those people. And um, there's this pattern that we see over and over again with Paul. He addresses his audience in the context that they're in. And usually his message would climax with Jesus and Jesus's resurrection. In fact, it was so common that, that Paul would preach about Jesus and Jesus's resurrection that when he got into some of the European towns, uh, just on the other side of Turkey, um, people, when he would preach, they would say, this guy is, is talking to us about Jesus and this other person named Anastasis. And Anastasis is the Greek word for resurrection. So as Paul's preaching about Jesus and resurrection, the people who are listening saying, these are two people. Who are these two people you're talking about? It was so common. He never separated those two things. Jesus and his resurrection is what separates him from all other things. And, and, um, and this is why we can worship him. And, and so let me move on here. Ultimately, what happens after Paul has healed this man... And then, uh, you know, he says, don't worship us. You need to worship God. Um, there's this moment when uh, he's actually beginning to get stoned. This is a horrific event. And every, every time, I want to just make a statement here. Every time that we preach the good news, every time that Paul preached the good news, anytime we go forth in the name of Jesus proclaiming that truth, opposition comes. In fact, uh, in John chapter 8, Jesus talks about the devil. And he doesn't, he doesn't paint the devil in some amorphic terms. He, he gives him a body. He's a person. He says he's roaming to and fro in the earth. He is the father of lies. The, the, the role that the enemy has is he wants de- to dethrone Jesus. He wants to dethrone God. He, he wants to, um, to, to, to tell us that we are not good enough, that we can't partner with God, that because of our brokenness and our sin, uh, that, that we are useless to God. Because he knows that the power that is in Jesus' name is will change the world radically. And so every time we preach good news, any time that, that we come in the name of Christ, there will be opposition. And for Paul, this meant that, that he was stoned nearly to death. To the point where the people who were stoning... And by the way, when I talk about being stoned, I don't talk about like what we may understand as some cultural context now of getting stoned. He wasn't, you know, like beside himself. These are actual people throwing rocks at him to the point it's crushing his bones and his body, right? This is, this is a painful experience. And it's interesting when we read it in Acts chapter 14, it's almost like this little byline that's happening there. This is a, a, a gruesome type of thing. Paul was so badly hurt 
that it looked like he was dead. And the people who had been stoning him dragged him out of the city um, to the outskirts of the city so that he could be dead and he could decay there. That's, that's essentially what's happening. But then we see what happens here. And I, I, I'm really fascinated by this. The text continues, and, and, and we're in verse 20. I want to read this from the text so you understand. So verse 20 of Acts chapter 14, it says, But after the disciples, these are the people who Paul has recently converted to faith in Jesus Christ. But after the disciples had gathered around him, they went outside of the city to where Paul's body was. They gathered around him. They cared for him. And Paul got up, and he went back into uh, the city. These people cared so much about Paul that they're willing to risk now their lives to care for him. The text goes on. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby, And they internalize this for a moment. The next day, after Paul had almost been killed by rocks hurled at his body, the very next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And he says this, and this is such an understatement, we must go through many hardships like basically being killed. How many, how many of you guys want that hardship in your life? Let's go preach the gospel so that we can die. Um, this, you can laugh there. I don't, um, you don't have to, but it uh, makes me feel better if you do. Paul says, thank you. <laughs> Paul says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Paul and Barnabas then appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So there's four things that, that Paul has done here um, in his established ministry that are vital for us to know and understand as churches. Paul's ministry was marked by a gentleness um, and, and love that, that may not always come through in his text. When we read his letters, sometimes he seems really um, proud and boastful and almost brash. There are moments, when, and I've had some conversations with some folks who maybe in this room right now who are like, I don't really like reading Paul because um, he, he just seems like he's a little bit mean. No, the reality is that he cared for the people that he was establishing as churches and, and, and new believers. He cared for them deeply. In fact, in First Thessalonians, we read this. Um, this is chapter 2, verse First Thessalonians, verse 7 and 8. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become so dear to us. Paul's ministry was, was, was not simply about preaching the good news. It was also about caring for the people in these churches that, that he was helping to establish. I mean, of course, preaching was a central component, but, but the goal of following Jesus is really about sustainability. How do we create a system where people can be cared for, where people can be trained and taught up in the way of Jesus, and where people can be led by good elders who are supported? This is, this is what he was establishing in the early church, and it's something, too, uh, that we try and do here as, as well. 
So it's about encouraging and supporting one another. It's about continuing to teach the truth of the Jesus way. So Paul, what he does is he, he circles back around. He cares for the people that came to faith in Jesus. And, and this is really what we read in the New Testament, all the letters that he wrote. It's continued care for the church. And when we say, as a church here at Quest, when we say relationships are the mission, you may have seen that as you came into uh, the auditorium this morning. You may have read those words or heard us say them, and you think, what does that mean? This is what it means. What Paul is doing right here with his churches, where he circles back, he trains them up, he cares for them in the midst of hardship. Paul never once said, hey, this is going to be easy. In fact, Christians, hear me now. The life of following Jesus is not an easy one. Hardships will come. In fact, we are told to pick up our cross daily, to pick up that instrument of torture daily, because that is what we are supposed to do in submission to Christ Our life will be full of hardships every time we share the good news of Jesus Christ. Opposition will come. The father of lies hates it when we talk about Jesus. So he says, I'm here to to care for you. Um, It's about digging deep into uh, messy relationships that that are built around the truth that that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And and we have to, 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 to understand that he is on the throne of our lives so that we can continue to grow in our faith. And so at Quest, what we do is we dig into the lives of the people around us. We teach one another the way of Jesus. We encourage one another and even correct one another. Sometimes it means that we have to say to someone, what you're doing isn't right. That's not the way to live. That's not the Jesus way of living, but that's part of what we're called to, right? We, we, we walk with one another through the hardships of life, the difficulties of life. We, we pick one another up um, when, when we're down and out. We establish um, what, 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 what it means to follow good morals and ethics in, in this world and, and ultimately experience then the fruit of the kingdom of God. So Paul sets up these systems in the church to keep them up and running. It's vital for the church's efficacy. And so we, um, what he did was he taught, like I said, he encouraged, he was honest about hardships, and he established authority within the church, and he covered that authority in prayer. This is the way the early church functioned. When we read about it in Acts, this is exactly the way it functioned. It's the way our church, not just Quest, but our church now, uh, Big C Church, should also function. So in our context, uh, we're called to continue to share the good news of Jesus in the same way that Paul did. But the world around us is not uh, the same. It's not, it's not the way it was. We're not living in a pre-Christian world. Um, in fact, our world in this post-Christian context, this secularism context, ultimately is about deconstructing faith and saying that religion and faith are, are really more like superstitions and they, they ultimately prohibit progress. And, and so we need to deconstruct faith. So think about this for a second. You may, you may understand this. What, what ultimately secularism is, is when we, we try and divorce our moral ethics. Those, those, those are the wonderful things that we experience from faith, the moral, the goodness, all of that stuff. When we divorce that moral ethic from the source of that moral ethic, if you think about it, it's happening all around us, right? Um, it, 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 there, there are folks who want the good things of the kingdom of God, but they just don't want God on the throne. They think that's what progress truly is. There's many institutions. If you think about our educational institutions, how many of them have taken out the faith aspect of the morals that they teach? Think about our government. That certainly has a place where where there once was a moral ethic that was connected to the source, but no longer is it. 
Even in entertainment, we see this. There's all these places where where they've stepped away from a central moral ethic that's based on Christianity and now is saying that the way that we experience progress is by individual self. And I want to be really clear here. In secularism and post-Christian world, it doesn't mean that these institutions are are, uh, abandoning morals. There's still a search for the good moral things, those, those things like equality, like justice, all of those things uh, that we're, we're trying to get to them. But the, the reality is we're trying to do the search for those moral ethics by leading with ourself rather than allowing God to lead us. And I think this is one of the hardest things for many believers right now as we watch this happen and, and see this all around us. And we start to see people in the church who are also falling away. I grew up in the church. I'm 43 years old. The, the, the time of the 80s and the 90s, I thought was, it was a beautiful time for the church, right? I mean, many of you, um, and I'm not trying to call you old or anything like that, but some of you are really old. Um, but you, you probably remember, you, I'm sorry, I'm just going to skip right over that. You probably remember church in the 80s and 90s when it was packed to the gills and it felt like, like there was this really awesome movement. And then you look around at the church today, especially now in COVID, and you look around, it's like this room feels kind of empty. And I, I'm, hear me out. I'm so thankful that each of you are here. That's not what I'm trying to say. But we look around, it's almost like the, the church is falling away in some ways. And, and we want the way it was because we thought that was the way it should be. We had this expectation of the church always looking the same way, but there's a reality that we are not considering. In fact, when we think about the church historically in America, we often look at it with revisionist history through these lenses that say that's what it really was, but it wasn't. The In America, our country was not dominated by Christianity. It's just, it's just a reality. There were movements, of course, that changed faith in America. Of course, you have the Puritans, you have the Quakers, you have the First and Second Great Awakenings. These movements came out of these moments similar to what we're in right now. In fact, the Second Great Awakening uh, in the 1800s was a reaction to sec- skepticism. To, to secularism. The, in 1800s, and the peak was at 1820, Second Great Awakening, it happened because people were saying, too many people are living a secular life. We need to bring the gospel of Jesus into this place. And so there was a, a, a revival that happened. The reality, though, the, the uh, faith and the onset of something like revival is something that, that in, in terms of a movement, is something that ebbs and flows. And, and so this, there's a hope for us in this moment. Because the truth is, as secularism around us has had its rise, it's now really starting to fall and crumble. Because secularism is based on this idea that individual people are going to create progress. But what is the most certain truth about people? They're all failures. We're all failures. We mess up all the time. And this is why the moral ethic of Christianity is so important. Because God is not a failure and he accepts us exactly as we are. Though we are broken, he offers us grace. Though we are sinners, he offers us forgiveness. He says, come and join me in this quest to make this place better. When Jesus is not on the throne, when an organization or his, Jesus' structure is, is not guided by Jesus, then it, there's a failure within that system that's inevitable. You look around us right now, we see depression and anxiety are an all-time high. We see family structures crumbling. Um, it doesn't matter how good a life that a man creates for himself, 
or how good of a place he is. Like, he, oh, well, he's, he's, he's in a wealthy part of the country, so he has all of these advantages to him. Doesn't matter whatever perfect life is there. The reality is right now when, when, when we are at the helm of that, we're going to start to see isolation, fear of commitment, dissatisfaction, wounding, racism, intolerance, injustice, and addiction, just to name a few things. Think about it. It's all around us right now. The reality is when we put ourselves on the throne, which is what secularism does, everything falls apart. When we keep Christ on the throne, that's when we start to experience freedom, goodness, true justice, true equality, right? Secularism is broken. And now we have this opportunity, an opening for Christ to speak truth into a faulty system, an opportunity to reestablish God at the center of the universe in our minds and in our hearts. And ultimately, this is what we know as renewal, This is the role of the church um, in this seemingly dark time. We have an opportunity right now in post-Christian America as a church to bring us into an, an opportunity for revival and renewal. Is that something that you're interested in? This is what I want. Thank you for saying amen. I, I, I'm, I like to hear feedback, so come on. That's all I'm saying. Come on. Yeah, this is what I want. I want us to be, we, as Christians, we are poised right now to speak into the brokenness of our world and say there is a much better system out there. We can bring renewal and revival to the community around us in the name of Jesus. And, and here's the thing where I want us to, to land today. There's, there's so much that um, I think that we can talk about, but I think it's important for us to understand this, and that is renewal begins with us as individuals. We ultimately need to be renewed. We have to stop looking at the past with some sort of expectation for the way it is and accept our new identity as agents of the most high God here to proclaim and live out his truth in our lives and for the world around us. So here's my prescription for us. Number one, we're going to, we have to let God lead first in our lives at the heart of secularism is progress driven by personal strength. But at the heart of the way of Jesus is submission to his authority. We, we have to let God lead With open hands, we have to submit to his process. And this is what faith looks like. We don't necessarily know how he's going to move. We don't know how he's going to heal or, or, or how he's going to work. But instead, what we do is we follow his lead. It's kind of like dancing. This opportunity for God to lead us in this dance of renewal. We follow his movements. We sense a nudge and then we step, right? We hear his voice and then we speak. We make changes and we trust that God is the one who's directing us. And, and we don't say, no, we've never done it before. It's never looked like this before. But instead we say, yes, God, I will. I will follow you. We have to start with allowing God to lead first. Number two, we position ourselves spiritually for personal renewal. This is an eradication of the lies in our lives that we believe. When we come up against a thought or a pattern in our life that's incongruent with the way of Jesus, we work to eradicate it. We remove it. We repent. We turn a different direction toward the direction that God is moving. And every time we do this, what we do is we establish God on the throne of our lives. We position ourselves in a way that's aligned with the work of God a way that produces kingdom fruit. This is the exact opposite of secularism. 
We say, I am not on the throne in this area of my life, but rather God is. And so I'm moving a new direction. God's work in us, moving out from us, is how we, just like Paul, partner with God to bring revival and renewal to our community. I do believe that the world is positioned right now for revival. And we're looking at a season of change in the world. And if we follow the way of Jesus, then we will gain the opportunity to see the kingdom of God reign here on this earth. Is that something that you want? Yeah. I'm going to challenge us a little bit harder today, a little bit um, differently today. Here's what I'm going to ask you. If you want that, if you're willing to step today in that, I'm going to actually ask you to stand up right now, just so I know who I'm standing with, because this is who, what I want. This is what I'm seeing. This is where I feel God is calling me. And I believe that he's saying he's calling you as well as the church to change the world in his name, to put him back on the throne. And it begins with us where we say, we are putting you on the throne so thank you so much for standing. If you're, if you're watching us online and, and you're interested in joining in this idea, this new idea of, of renewal, of revival, then comment on, on, on the live feed. Let us know or send me an email so I know who we're talking about. Yes. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over us. And then I'm going to invite you to actually say a few words of, of just claiming this truth in your life that you are ready to step into renewal. I'm going to ask you to repeat something after me. And then we're going to continue to worship in song and tithe and then sending. So is that cool? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that the truth that you speak about us is that we are not useless. That the sin in our lives can be eradicated. That it can be blotted out by the blood of Christ. That it's forgotten. And that you desire that we would follow you in this dance towards renewal and that you will use us to bring your kingdom here to this place, to this world. So we reject the lies of the enemy, the, the lies of the devil. We say they're not truth, they're no good. They don't bring true progress. Progress only comes when we decide to follow the way of Jesus. And so we're stepping out. We're going to follow you, Jesus. We choose to be with you. So we say this, let us fix our eyes on you, Jesus, looking to you to forgive and to set things right in our lives. Lord, may your unfailing love come to us. May we experience salvation according to your promise. May we understand renewal in our hearts. And I want you to say this, Lord, keep my worship aligned with your heart. Repeat that with me. Lord, keep my worship aligned with your heart. May we align ourselves with the things that you're doing. May we call out the lies and say, that's not truth. That's not what Jesus wants for this place. And then may we go into the world and preach your good news. May we go gently and carefully and reach to the other people who are hurting and show them what it means to live a life of freedom 
and grace and mercy. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. We hope you encountered the love of Jesus in this message. If you'd like to be a part of the ministry God is doing through Quest, whether in person or online, go to questvineyard.org for more information. If you want to worship God by supporting Quest financially, go to questvineyard.org slash give. May God bless you this week as you partner with God to change the world one friendship at a time.